welcome to the Volva Diaries with host Dr. Amanda Selk, bringing you the 101 on vulvovaginal health. So today we're going to talk to Dr. Lynn Margeson, who's a dermatologist at Dartmouth, and she's going to talk to us about ulcers. Hi, Dr. Margeson. Hi, Amanda. How are you today? I'm great. So can you first tell us what an ulcer actually is? An ulcer is a defect in the skin, a complete full thickness defect with loss of the epidermis and part of the dermis, as opposed to an erosion, which is just loss of part of the epidermis or the whole epidermis down to the basement membrane. And what do you think are the most common causes of ulcers? Well, ulcers come in in two broad categories. The categories are infectious and non-infectious. And the infectious ulcers are your sexually transmitted diseases, you know, herpes simplex and syphilis and chancroid and the disease you're familiar with in that category. And then your next group are your non-infectious ulcers. And in that category, things like apthi, malignancy and trauma. So what are the commonest overall? The commonest cause of genital ulcers is herpes simplex and the immunosuppressed, and that's worldwide. And immunosuppressed, what kind of diseases do you mean? Anything, not just HIV, which I think a lot of people think of immediately, but people with breast cancers, leukemia, lymphomas, One of the worst cases I ever saw in this woman presented with this unbelievable ulcer and unable to go to the bathroom. She'd had it for six or eight weeks. And when I went down to see her, they were demanding I do a biopsy-apsy immediately. And you could actually see the herpetic lesions along the edges. And just as I was about to do the biopsy, they came in and said, my goodness, she's got acute myelogenous leukemia. Right, and they are really painful when you see them. Terribly, terribly painful. Anyway, and of course syphilis, which is on the rise, and we'll probably talk a bit more about that later in this discussion, I hope. Well, we could talk about it now. How would you know, what would make you think of a syphilis ulcer? Well, first of all, who are you going to think of that has a syphilitic ulcer? Usually it's somebody who's sexually active and younger. Somebody who's a little economically... um, disadvantaged they are the people I would think of and think more about about syphilis and you want to know especially somebody who's got many partners who's had sexually transmitted diseases in the past you know we're seeing a rise in pregnant women right now oh we're not seeing the ulcers per se but we're seeing congenital syphilis so when you get called to see a patient with an ulcer or you get a referral for an ulcer Um, What kind of questions are you asking the patient on history? The many things you want to know because your differential diagnosis is fairly broad and we should talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but you want to know from them how long they've had it, is it acute, is it chronic, is it recurrent? You want to know is it painful, is it associated with any systemic illness, have they got fever, have they got joint pains, they got cough, what else is going on with these people? Uh, do they have rashes elsewhere on their body? Have they got oral lesions? Are they one of the people that had recurrent ulcers in their mouth? And you can get recurrent aphthous ulcers 
that can be complex and they get ulcers in the mouth, but not concomitantly with the vulvar ulcers. Right, and that gets mistaken for Bechette's all the time. Which is so rare in North America. I mean, Bechette's is a, is a, that's a real zebra. I don't know why we've learned about it in medical schools and trained about it. I, I think that our colleagues that are in Israel or in Turkey or are along the Silk Road, yes, I think that's important there. But for us in North America, it's incredible incredibly rare. Does it happen? Yes. First and only patient I've ever had with Bessette's disease was 15 years old. Right, but it's amazing how many people just remember it from school and they see a patient. Once they've planted that seed, then the patient feels they have it and it actually takes some time to undo that. But most of our patients will just have when we're talking about aptus ulcers, they'll just have ulcers in the genital area and maybe the their mouth. But if you're going to make a diagnosis of besets, there are specific criteria that you've got to look up and fulfill, and most of our patients aren't going to fulfill those criteria. You know, classically, what do you see with besets? You see genital ulcers, oral ulcers, uveitis, or systemic diseases. I mean, much more common are your aphthous ulcers, your regular old canker sores. I think that's one, one of the huge things that's not taught to any group of doctors no and I think when they talk about them they always we get taught that it's a you see it only in teenagers which I don't think is true I like to classify them into sort of the classic simple aphthous ulcers which of course have all those other names to them Lipschitz ulcers is what the uh, Europeans use as their term in America we've come up with these weird terms reactive non-sexually related acute genital ulcers or how about this one non-sexually acquired genital ulcerations these are just acute canker sores and they can be pretty big they can be big and they can be nasty, but they're basically simple aphthous ulcers and they can be acute or recurrent. And then you've got the complex aphthous ulcers, which are your recurrent ones with or with the oral disease, and they can be idiopathic or they can be associated with underlying diseases. And they're the ones that are associated with Crohn's disease or inflammatory bowel disease. They're associated with the um, hematological diseases like your myeloproliferative diseases, neutropenia, lymphopenia. I have a number of patients like that. And then I'd like to put into that category your besets. I think that's where you've got to put the besets group. But extremely rare. We don't see those very often. What we see are simple aphthous ulcers that can recur, though, in a third of the patients. Right. And they can be solitary or multiple, correct? Classically, a younger patient They've got a fever, malaise, headache, they don't feel very well, and they suddenly wake up one morning with dysuria. And the dysuria becomes intolerable. Someone looks at them and immediately thinks they've got herpes simplex. And usually, I don't actually, Amanda, I don't think I've ever seen one of these patients that didn't come into my office already on a cyclovir or treatment for herpes simplex because everybody and properly so, assumes that's what's going on. But they're not getting better, they're sick, and these ulcers, it's amazing. 
when they start, it's a vasculitis. This is a cytotoxic reaction to an underlying problem. In 30%, we can recognize that they might have Epstein-Barr, they might have cytomegalovirus, they might have uh, mycoplasma pneumonia. Those are the commonest uh, infections we know that give this skin reaction pattern that we call aphthous ulcers. The average age is actually 29, <laughs> although we see it commonly in younger patients in the teens and early 20s. We can see it 40 and 50 year olds, and they've even reported it later than that. So when you first see them and you've done your history, what else are, are you looking at the rest of their skin at all? Absolutely. First of all, you want to look in their mouth, make sure that they don't have aphthous ulcers going on in their mouth. Um, you want to make sure that they don't have any other conditions because with the complex um, aphthous ulcers, sometimes they're ill with other diseases and they'll have lymphadenopathy or they'll have, you know, large livers, all sorts of things, depending on what the diseases are that's going on. But those are rare. Well, Most of these patients have nothing. They'll have a little lymphadenopathy sometime, that's well, about all. As you gave an example with Crohn's, they might never had a, have had a vulvar manifestation of their Crohn's, right? And then... Well, Crohn's maybe. disease, though, I think it's sad. It's really not. It's missed all the time. There's only about 300 cases reported in the world literature. And if you speak to any of your colleagues, almost everyone that does vulvovaginal work has seen somebody with Crohn's. And they present classically, usually with swelling. Mm -hmm. And then knife cut ulcers, those are the classic ones. And those knife cut ulcers are the splits in your skin, which are sometimes mistaken for fissures, but they're usually much bigger and very chronic and persistent. But they can be up at the superclitoral area, down in the interlabial sulci. They can be in the inguinal crease. They can be in the gluteal cleft. And what's weird about those knife cut ulcers is they're not always painful. I don't understand that. You get some with aphthous ulcers. They're in excruciating pain and misery. And yet you see the Crohn's people sometimes, and they're uncomfortable, but they're not in that kind of pain, despite these knife cut ulcers, although they also can get aphthous ulcers. And I've had patients who've had Crohn's disease, had it under control for years, and then suddenly develop pain, and they come in thinking they've got herpes simplex, but they've got just a chronic ulcer that's not going away because their Crohn's now is more active. And yep. then they'll also tell you that they've got ulcers in their mouth. Yeah, they're always very hard to manage. We'll talk about management in a minute. When you first investigate patients, do you always biopsy the ulcers? No, I don't always. I, in a young girl who's coming in, who or a younger person who's coming in with an a fever, malaise, unwell, always test them for syphilis and herpes simplex and usually err on the side of thinking that they've got aphthous ulcers and treat them with prednisone. Uh, I know that the literature recommends we always use topical steroids and maybe that's all that's necessary, but I find that you get these patients early if you give them 40 to 50 milligrams of prednisone for five days and then half the dose for five more days, most of these patients resolve really quite quickly. They settle down without treatment, I know in three weeks, classically, but you can make them a lot better with the prednisone very quickly, so I'll do that for them. 
Uh, in the meantime, we've done the other tests and make sure that they haven't got herpes simplex. Often, if I'm not sure, I'll leave them on their acyclovir till I get that negative test and phone them and say, see, I told you the test's negative. Don't worry, you don't have to do that. Stop it, finish the prednisone. And they get better. And then they're always terrified. What am I going to do if I get it back again? 100%. So what do you do for that? I give them prednisone. I give them a prescription, tell them to fill it and take it home with them and have it with them at all times. Is that what you find works the best in recurrences? Well, usually they don't get that many recurrences, you see. They might not have a recurrence for another year or so. And I've had a a number of patients who've had maybe two or three recurrences over two or three years, and that's been it. Now, if they're recurrent, and that is very unusual in my practice, that the acute, simple aphthous ulcers They get better, and then they get another one a month or so later, and then a month or so later. Those people I put on doxycycline. And if that's not working, then my next go-to is colchicine. 0.6 milligrams twice a day. Three times a day would be wonderful, but everybody gets diarrhea. Mm. So twice a day is what I usually do. Or I will use Dapsone. Now, there is a group of patients that get chronic recurrent aphthous ulcers. And they do very well with prednisone, just like the acute ones do, but you can't keep them on it a long time. And what are you going to do at that stage? Uh, yes, I can go to colchicine, and I can go to Dapsone, and I've, of course, I've already done, I'm talking about the ones that I've done, the doxycycline hasn't been working, and I give them colchicine or Dapsone, or the combination, and they either have trouble, or don't tolerate it, or it's not working. My best success has been with um, cyclosporin. Mm. 100 milligrams twice a day. And of course, this depends on the individual, whether they tolerate it. You've got to go through all the pros and cons of doing that. But I will put them on that for a month, and then I will gradually just decrease it down to one a day. And I had one lady that we carried on three times a week for six months. Finally, we just stopped it and she never had them again. And she'd had them almost consistently for three years. It's always tough when you have the patients that you try and try and try with all these different drugs. Now, if the patient's got neutropenia, though, the hematological diseases, if you don't deal with the neutropenia, work with your hematologist to deal with that neutropenia, they get it back Mm. recurrently. And yes, your quick prednisone will help them and these other drugs can be helpful, but it's the neutropenia, which I think is fascinating because what happens with viral diseases? We get a neutropenia, don't we, a bit? Is that why we get the acute simple aphthous ulcers? I've been wondering that. I hope someone will answer that question for me someday. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting population that is not easy to take care of when they get the recurrences and they would probably really appreciate if someone could figure those things out but do remember though when you get if you get any patient with severe aphthous ulcers they're in a great deal of pain with a lot of dysuria it may be absolutely imperative that they get catheterized because they cannot urinate and they are so uncomfortable and Despite all the restrictions in all our healthcare systems, sometimes you've got to admit them to hospital for a couple or three days to manage the pain control and so that they can get the rest and get their elimination working again and get them under control with your systemic medications. 
Do you have any other uh, tricks for them other than catheterizing them? Well, it would be lovely if we could use a topical anesthetic, but you can't. You try to use a topical anesthetic on these patients and it burns too much. Soaks are the only thing you do. Have them urinate in a sitz bath, a nice warm sitz bath. Coat them with your 20% uh, zinc oxide ointment and please try to find a plain pure 20% zinc oxide and plain petrolatum rather than the diaper paste which have all sorts of irritants and can burn also but that can be really helpful. But it's, it's difficult and they're miserable. For sure. Do you have any last uh, key messages or take home points for people about ulcers? When we're thinking about ulcers though, we've got to think about some of the other causes of ulcers. Big on that list is malignancy. And uh, of course that would be squamous cell carcinoma. And you can get ulcers with squamous cell carcinoma. And just to confuse you, I've had two very difficult patients who had vulvar squamous cell carcinoma and recurrent herpes simplex in the squamous cell carcinoma where they were immunosuppressed, just to make things just a little bit confusing on occasion. So would you say that it's fair that any of your older patients at all, you'd biopsy those ulcers? I always recommend biopsy. But a trick here is when you examine them, If you're going to have the regular simple, I say they're simple, but the ulcers that are associated with syphilis or herpes simplex or or the aphthous ulcers or even the Crohn's ulcers, they have specific patterns and there'll be a degree of swelling and some induration. But if you can, touch around your ulcers because the tumor ones are really hard, really firm. And that can really help you a lot. I had a lady who came who had a very, very chronic ulcer that wasn't responding at the introidal area. And when we touched, and it was very tender, around the perineum up towards the ulcer, you could actually feel how hard it was rock-like. And you knew probably you are dealing with a tumor. The other tumor that you see in the vulvar area that's missed is Langerhans cell, histiocytosis. And it can present as persistent chronic ulcers. I think that if your ulcer is chronic and not responding and you're really not sure, I think you are obligated to do a biopsy. And you would locally anesthetize the area as you would do for any biopsy and do a good deep four millimeter punch biopsy. And we're often taught these are the ones that you need to biopsy at the edge of the lesion to have for the pathologist to have the ulcer and normal tissue in it at the same time. If you can, but you can't always get that. And you may have to go to the most firm part. And it'd be wonderful if our pathology was perfect. But the pathology for Crohn's disease, for instance, it's only positive in 50% of the cases. You've really got to make a diagnosis clinically. You've got to see swelling, the knife cut ulcers, the pattern, the history of the GI to make the diagnosis. So got to do a whole history to put the pattern together and make the diagnosis. The other thing is trauma. We forget trauma and we forget when a patient comes in in a wheelchair that that can be a traumatic pressure ulcer and the way they're sitting may be the problem. 
with these patients. So if you've got patients with multiple sclerosis or other conditions so that they're sitting constantly, they're going to have troubles. And what about contact? What about those patients who put benzocaine on their vulva many, many, many times a day? They're going to cause a traumatic chemical burn. Basically contact dermatitis with an ulcer. So, so many points that are important on both your history and your exam when you're trying to think about all the many, many, many causes of ulcers. And every once in a while, you know, you can take your common erosive diseases, your lichen sclerosis, your lichen planus, even your lichen simplex chronicus, and you get somebody picking it, really picking it, and scratching and scratching and putting all sorts of bad chemicals on it, and you're going to take a dermatosis or an erosion and turn it into an ulcer. So, But I think you're going to recognize that with your history. They're going to be telling you they've had other things or even diagnoses before. And every once in a while, I will get a chronic ulcer at 6 o'clock on the entroidal area that doesn't heal. And these are the patients that have been sexually active and they had a small tear and then they get pelvic floor dysfunction and every time they're sexually active, their pelvic floor tightens up and they continue being sexually active and this area tears more and eventually you get chronic ripping and tearing and it doesn't heal well and then it stops healing well then they put all sorts of wonderful things on it and you've got this chronic ulcer and the only thing that's going to work with that is to get a perineoplasty is that the right term amanda what what term do you use basically have to cut it out basically and, and they need physio and they're going to need physio, but I've got a number of cases that post-coitally needed repairs. Again, your history is going to help you there. Yeah, I hate biopsying the midline there, but it, it is important in those cases because once in a while, I find that your, the story you just gave is a common one. Sometimes you see an early lichen, and that's the first thing you see. And sometimes it's a an actual um, pre-cancer, like a h of the vulva oh. so and i find there it's interesting that sometimes it's just those tears at the first shed so as much as i hate biopsying them if oh, they're not getting have, better if they, yeah. but seriously if things are not getting better they look atypical you're not sure you're never wrong to do a biopsy i try not to biopsy aphthous ulcers but sometimes you're not sure and I think that your point about anyone who doesn't respond to treatment is a key in many, many, many conditions. But I think that if you get a good history, look at the features of your ulcers, think carefully, order the appropriate test, get the appropriate test. Most of the time you can sort these out. It's difficult though, because we don't each one of us see them often enough to feel really confident. But I I think we can do a pretty good job most of the time. Thank you so much for talking to us today. That was Dr. Lynn Margeson, a dermatologist from Dartmouth.